Our scripture reading again was taken from the book of John, the eighth chapter, and verse 12, John 8 and verse 12. And the Bible reads, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Our message this Sabbath is the seventh installment in our sanctuary series entitled Light in Darkness. Light in Darkness. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And Lord, we thank you that even after a busy, grueling, tiring, at times even wearisome week, Lord, you still give us, Lord, what we need in your word and through your truth. So today, Lord, we are asking for a double outpouring of your Holy Spirit. I am asking, Lord, claiming your promises that now Satan be bound, the demons be removed, the distractions would cease, and that your Holy Spirit would fill this place as angels that excel in wisdom and strength would be given charge over this place. Father God, let me not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, just to recap, since it's been a few weeks, we've been talking about the sanctuary, and you can see here, um, this is the, the fence. Remember we talked about the fence being about seven and a half feet high all the way around. You couldn't just peek over in. You had to come in through the front, through the front gate. And the first piece of furniture you would see, the largest piece, would be the, um, the, the bronze altar of the, where the daily sacrifices take place. This is the largest piece of furniture in the sanctuary. You'd go further in, and there was the, um, the bronze uh, laver where you'd wash. Um, and this is where the priests would have to wash before they would go in through the door into the holy place. Um, which is where we left off. And there's so much detail and things that we talked about. Again, another view. You can see the altar of burnt offerings and the bronze laver. We talked about the table of showbread the last time. And we're going to talk about the golden lampstand today. And again, another view of the outer courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And we talked about the fact that the life of Christ, his crucifixion, was typed in the in the altar of, off, uh, of burnt offerings here, his resurrect, burial and resurrection, like baptism in um, the bronze laver here. And so all of the life of Christ is in the courtyard, but the time of the church starts when you enter into the holy place. And that's what we're going to talk about a bit more today. And you can see as you peel back and you look at the sanctuary, here is the table of showbread and the lampstand, um, and all of the different articles that we're going to talk about 
Uh, but as you go in, you can see this thing. And remember, I, I purchased some of these from an Adventist artist that does an excellent job. And you can see this is what it would look like inside. The walls and sides would all be gold. Um, the pillars would be gold. But along the bottom, the soffits were silver, which was what represented us because we um, are to be like pillars in the house of God, unmoved. And silver represents being redeemed, the way that it had to be purified and fire and, and beaten. And um, we talked about the table of showbread and the six pieces on each side. Every Sabbath, it was refreshed. And the time when we come to church on the Sabbath is a time to get a new word. But we are to be eating the bread throughout the week. Amen? And the bread represents the word of God. So we turn our attentions today from the north side of the holy place where the table of showbread sits to the south side of the of the of the most of the holy place sorry of the holy place where the um the golden lampstand stands we're going to talk about what this means um not just in the ancient system but what does it represent even now and prophetically so we start in the book of exodus exodus chapter 3 in verse 1, we always kind of tie this to Moses. And this is one of my favorite Bible stories. It's a simple story, but a profound story. Because Moses was 80 years old. How old was he? 80 years old when this story takes place. For 40 years, Moses was a prince of Egypt. He was educated in the finest schools the world knew at the time. He was prepared to either be a great general in the armies of Pharaoh or even as Pharaoh's grandson to be Pharaoh himself. Moses understood, though, because of the way his mother raised him, that he was a Hebrew and had loyalty to his people. And even the way he leaves after 40 years is because he, as you remember, he murders an Egyptian who was wrangling with a Hebrew. Moses thought he could deliver God's people by his own might. He was wrong. And he went and ran for cover in the wilderness. How long does he stay in the wilderness? 40 more years. Boy, I'm telling you, this guy is 40, 40, 40. Three sets of 40 is the life of Moses. The most mundane is the second 40 years, which ends at this story. During this 40 years, he meets his wife. He has his kids. He, he, um, his father-in-law Jethro is a wealthy priest of Midian, and this is Moses' lot. He has settled and given up on the eye of royalty or leadership, and he is ready to simply herd sheep. Isn't that kind of funny? He went from the successor of Pharaoh to telling sheep where to go. But let me tell you something profound about the life of Moses. I would argue that the most important education Moses gets was not in the classrooms of Egypt. It was on the fields of the wilderness out in the desert. It was, uh, it was in his uh, uh, efforts to manage sheep and, 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 and flock that he was able to gain the skill and the patience he would need to deal with God's people. So at 80 years old, when Moses was probably ready to put in for his retirement, 
collect his Social Security and go on Medicare. Ready to just, you know, kind of retire. Maybe he's going to get a little trailer in Florida. God said no. Some of us think that we are too old to do God's work. Some think we're too young. I want to submit to you the story of Moses. How God calls him. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So he takes the flock and he goes around the backside. This is one of Moses' long expeditions with the flock to find water uh, and grazing places. And he takes them around the back and ends up in what was probably quite a familiar place as he winds up on the backside of Horeb. And in verse 2 of Exodus 3, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Can you imagine minding your business with the sheep? And as you come around, you see a bush on fire, not being consumed. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. That is the pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus himself shows up in the bush and uh, here a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not what? It was not consumed. Moses with the sheep, and you can imagine when he looks up and he sees this thing, his attention is turned to this bush. I want to submit to you that God will find a way to get your attention. As Moses is looking, he's, he, the Bible says in verse 3, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. As Moses begins to move over, God begins to speak to him again. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to, unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Almost sounds like when Samuel was called. And here now Moses is standing before this bush God is speaking to him out of a bush that is on fire but not burning. God says, draw not nigh hither. In other words, Moses, do not come any closer. Stay where you are. Take your shoes off your feet. Because the place where you stand is what? It is holy ground. As Moses moves towards the bush, God says, tells him to stop and in fact instructs him to remove his shoes. Why? Because in, in, in that time, especially in, to even to this day, the bottom of shoes represented all that you picked up in the world. God says, take off your shoes and walk barefoot towards me. I can imagine as Moses drops to his knees, his mind begins to wander. For 40 years, he had been left alone in the wilderness. For 40 years, he was minding his own business. Can you imagine the night when a bush begins to speak to him? This is what the Desire of Ages, page 23 says. This great purpose 
had been shadowed forth in types and symbols. The burning bush in which Christ appeared to Moses revealed God. The symbol chosen for the representation of the deity was a lowly shrub that seemingly had no attractions. This enshrined the infinite, the all-merciful. God shrouded his glory in a mist, in, in, a, in a most humble type that Moses could look upon it and do what? He didn't pick the most grand tree out there on the mountainside. God showed up in a humble bush. It will baffle the keenest intellect to interpret the divine manifestation of the burning bush. It was not a dream. It was not a vision. It was a living reality. Something that Moses saw with his eyes, he heard the voice of God calling to him out of the bush and he covered his face, realizing that he stood in the immediate presence of God. God was conversing with humanity. Never could Moses describe the impression made upon his mind by the sight he then saw and by the sound of the voice that spoke to him. But this impression was never effaced. Heaven came near to him as with a reverent awe, he listened to the words, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. What wondrous condensation, uh, sorry, condescension for God to leave the heavenly courts and manifest himself to Moses, taking with him, talking with him face to face as a man speaks unto his friend from the youth's instructor December 20 1900 when I was reading this and I was looking at the, the golden lampstand I realized that God often presents himself through light the first thing the first day of creation is hallmarked by God saying let there be what light isn't it interesting that light is created before the sun is that is a statement that the source of light on earth is not the sun. Oh, y'all missing this thing. The reason we don't worship the sun and the biblical model that we don't worship the sun is that the sun is created after light is created because God is the source of light. And all through the Bible, when Moses goes up in the mountain, he comes down, he shines with a light. Jesus goes up into the Mount of Transfiguration and comes down, he shines with a light. All through the Bible, light shines. And in each one of our lives, one of the things that the sanctuary message is telling us as we begin to turn our attention from this burning bush to the golden lampstand is that each one of us on a daily basis is supposed to have a, a, a burning bush experience. As I was studying this, I realized that some of us are starving in a sense because we don't have the relationship that we need to have so that on a daily basis, we have the connection where the light of God fills our lives. 
And this is what was represented before Moses could be sent to do God's work. He was going to be sent into persecution. He was going to be sent into challenge. Can you imagine when he gets to Egypt and he has to see some of the folk that 40 years ago he ran away from? God had to speak to him. They had a conversation. He reasoned with God before God sent him out to be a light. Again, this is what it would look like. You would come in, the priest would come in. And remember, we each are to go from sinner to priest. We talked about that. Each to be working in God's uh, field and in his vineyard. And you come in and here it is. The golden candlesticks, the golden lampstand would be there. It was a most precious piece of furniture. Insane uh, material value as it was one of only two pieces of furniture in the entire sanctuary system that was made of solid gold. It was the mercy seat and the golden lampstand. The only two pieces that were not acacia wood and then it was overlaid with gold. This was solid gold. Every piece of, um, even the pieces of instrument that were used with the golden candlesticks was also solid gold. And these are not candlesticks. They don't put candles on it. It actually is a system, as we'll talk about, where the Holy Spirit, represented by as olive oil, would be used to light the fire. So every day, the priest had to work on this thing, as we'll talk about. But it represents, in its solid gold, it represents the, the deity and the royalty of the God of the universe. The Trinity is represented in the golden candlesticks. Why God is the solid gold, God the Father, Jesus is the light, and the Holy Spirit is the what? He's the oil. Here's how it was made. Exodus chapter 25 verse 31 says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops and his flowers uh, shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, three out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch. And three bowls like almonds on the other branch with a knop and a flower. So in the six branches uh, that come out of the candlestick. Notice the language is the language of a bush. Branches and flowers. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under the two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All of it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. And they shall light the lamps thereof, and they may light, uh, that they may give light over against it. The only light in the holy place came from the golden lampstand. The priests, watch this, did not work in the holy place with any light from the world. The only light they used was the light provided by God. And we as priests in the house of God must understand we must be careful to take from the, from the light of the world. We must be careful that we, when we walk in, and can you imagine what the golden walls, when you lit up the candles and the light reflected off of the gold, what it was, must have looked like inside of the holy place? 
and the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all of these vessels. A talent of pure gold is super heavy and would have been, and this day would be worth probably millions of dollars, really would be priceless when you consider the, the skill it would take to beat the gold into these shapes. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which I showed thee on the mount. And thou shalt command the children of Israel, that they, this is Exodus 27 and verse 20, and thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. In fact, the olive oil had to be so pure that when they were finished with it, you could see through it. Oh, y'all missing this thing. The oil had to be so pure that you could see through it. And in being able to see through the oil, it represents the Holy Spirit. You never saw the oil, just the flame. That's the way we ought to be. The Holy Spirit should fill us in such a way that folk don't see, you know, some outward um, 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 exercise of the Holy Spirit. They just see the flame. Why? The flame is the light of Christ. I remember once when I was at Oakwood, we went to um, New Orleans. Um, we used to go down and do something at the Ephesus Church down in New Orleans. And um, uh, that, 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 uh, either that Friday night or the Saturday night, we went to a, a, a non-Pentecostal church um, because some of the folk from, from our group were singing at, the, at this church. And, I, and, I, and we went, I'd never been to a Pentecostal church before. And I'm not making light of Pentecostals, but when I went in there, um, you know, and the music was really going, and and oh, after a little while, they began to 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 get the Holy Spirit, as they said, and people started to talk in tongues, and I'd never seen anything like it. And people began to run in circles around the church. And I was sitting there with my cousin Leon, and I tell you, at least three times we got up and ran out of the back of the church. And I started getting worried, and I'll never forget. Remember the Holy Spirit, pure. A girl that must have been about seven months pregnant running around in that church and she smashed straight into one of the pillars and fell out. And they just picked her up, brought her in a back room and everybody just kept going on. The Holy Spirit doesn't need to be that visible to work. In fact, if you listen to the story of, if you read the story of Elijah, God often works through a still, small voice. Because he's not trying to have people see what you do and it be proof that you have the Holy Spirit, like speaking in tongues, some say. But God wants your character to be so pure that people, when they deal with you, uh, by default, are impressed with who you are. And recognize that God is working in you. The golden candlesticks, the gold represents the deity of God. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. The light represents Christ um, because it represents God and the word of God. And Jesus is the word of God, John chapter 1 and verse 1. The total of the bowls, the knops, and the flowers is 66. Is that a coincidence? That's the same number as the books of the Bible. 22 knops, 22 flowers, 22 bowls. Exodus 25 and verse 31, the candlestick and the tools were made of a talent of gold. This was over 100 pounds of gold. Millions of dollars in our day. And it was pure olive oil to light the seven lamps. And they represent the Holy Spirit. 
When you stepped into the holy place, this light was burning. The priest had to do certain things. We'll talk about that in a second. But the, the high priest alone could actually deal with the golden candlesticks. Only the high priest could do it. And he had to do it two times a day, which symbolizes that we ought to spend some real quality time with God at least two times a day. Daniel gives us the third time that we ought to have prayer three times a day. So this isn't simply talking about prayer. This is talking about really spending time in the light of Christ. In fact, when we get to heaven, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the what? is the light thereof. In fact, just like creation week, I love how this thing works out. Just like creation week, God did not create the sun in a dark space. Huh. Light existed when the sun was created. When we get to heaven, you won't need the sun anymore because he will be the light. This is why we don't worship the sun. I'll say it again. This is why we're not amazed by the sun as, as, as societies have been throughout time. And even to this day, solar worship symbols are all over the place. But I challenge you that you understand that God is the light. And what we are to be is to be a reflection of that light. In fact, we ought to be more than just a reflection. We ought to be so filled with the light that folks see our light. Because it's the light of Christ. I love what Revelation chapter 1 says. Revelation 1 and verse 12, and I turned, John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. You see this? So Jesus in heaven also deals with these candlesticks. Remember, it was only the high priest that could deal with the candlesticks on earth, the, the, the lampstand on earth. We are told that in heaven... Uh, Christ is there. Well, let's look at this. Verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, this is Christ, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And his head and his hairs were, like, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And listen to his, this part. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Just as Christ called to Moses from the bush, he's calling to us here in Revelation. Verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word of God, amen? And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, John the Revelator says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Remember Moses had to cover his face? He couldn't come but so close. Here it is again. This is that experience. And he, and he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
the mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven what? Churches. Prophetically, this represents the time from, the, from, the, from Pentecost when again, the Holy Spirit like settled on them like, like tongues of fire, cloven fire over their heads. From that time all the way through to 1844 and beyond, really, but to 1844. That is the time of the holy place, His, prophetically and historically. That's the time it covers. It tells us that during that time, Christ was walking around. He was working with his church when William Miller began to preach the, the, the Advent message that Jesus was about to return. Uh, as the early Adventists began to gather together, my Bible is teaching us that during that time, Jesus himself was working with them. And he's working now. Acts of the Apostles, page 586, Christ is spoken of as walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Thus is symbolized his relation to the churches. He is in constant communication with his people. He knows their true state. He observes their order, their piety, their devotion. And although he is high priest and mediator in the sanctuary above, yet he is represented as walking up and down in the midst of his churches on earth. With untiring wakefulness and unremitting vigilance, he watches to see whether the light of any of his sentinels is burning dim or going out. If the candlesticks were left to mere human care, the flickering flame would languish and die. But he is the true watchman in the Lord's house, the true warden of the temple courts. His continued care and sustaining grace are the source of life and light. Did you know Christ is involved with what's going on with the church? He understands. Sometimes we are so worried about the church. I hear people talk so bad about the organized church, and I don't think sometimes they recognize that at the end of the day, Christ is in control even of the church. Some folk have given up on the church. Some even call it Babylon now. They've given up on the church. I want you to understand that the same Christ walking through these candlesticks in Revelation chapter 1, he is still walking among the people of God today in the by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is working and walking with us. This is the power of the sanctuary message that we understand that Christ is paying uh, the, 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 the tedious detailed attention to each one of us. Just as the, uh, the high priest, he couldn't, he, when he went through the seven uh, pieces of the candlestick, he couldn't let all of the lights go out at the same time. So he would turn one off while he trimmed and, and took care of that one. Then he would light it again and move to the next one so that there was always a continuous light in the holy place. So let me tell you something. You may not feel today that you are right with God. You may have a bad day. But this is why the scripture says a just man falls seven times and rises every time because Christ is there. Just like John saw him and fell as a dead man, Christ still lays his right hand on us and raises us up. I don't want you to think you've gone so far from God that he can't find you. 
I don't want you to think that you've sunken so deep in sin that he cannot save you. He is walking among the candlesticks. He knows what you're going through. He is uh, an adequate high priest. He is a perfect high priest. Why? Because he was tempted in all points like we are. Yet he never sinned. Spirit of Prophecy goes on, manuscript 1A, 1890, she says, No candlestick, no church shines of itself. From Christ emanates all its light. The church in heaven today is only the complement of the church on earth, but it is higher, grander, perfect. The same divine illumination is to continue through eternal ages. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the light thereof. No church can have light if it fails to diffuse the glory it receives from the throne of God. We are not supposed to just take the light. We're supposed to take the light and share the light, shine the light. And let me tell you something, just like when Moses was at that burning bush and he took uh, the job to go into Egypt and to, re and, to, and to collect God's people, to redeem God's people, just like he went in and was persecuted and tried. Here's what's crazy. Moses wasn't just persecuted by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He was persecuted by his own people. But when you sign up to be a light bearer, church, you sign up understanding that you're going to have a hard road. That's what the candlestick experience represents. When you turn from the candlestick, you're going to have to be able to stand even in a time of persecution. Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, says this. It will be found in the day of final settlement that God was acquainted with everyone by name. There is an unseen witness to every action of the life. I know thy work, says he that walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It is known what opportunities have been slighted, how untiring have been the efforts of the God of the good shepherd to search out those who are wandering in crooked ways and to bring them back to the path of safety and peace. The scripture says, uh, the spirit of prophecy here is saying, as the scripture says, that God goes out and searches for us. And it is all recorded. On Judgment Day, those who have not found God, every time God made an effort, every time they heard a word of Scripture, every time the Spirit of God moved on them and they rejected it, it will all be recorded. Again and again, God has called after the pleasure lovers. Again and again, he has flashed the light of his word across their path that they might see their peril and do what? and escape, but on, but on and on they go, jesting and joking as they travel the broad road until at length their probation is ended. Testimonies Church, Volume 5, page 435, God's ways are just and equal. And when sentence is pronounced against those who are found wanting, every mouth will be stopped. I want to submit to you that this is the challenge we face. Because if you take this all the way out, the last church that is represented of the seven churches in that timeline of those candlesticks is the church of Laodicea. The church that describes Christendom today is Laodicea. And this is what the Spirit of God says to them in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8, 17. 
Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou may be rich in white raiment, that thou may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Look at verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what? And repent. Because you say I am rich and increased with goods. Let me tell you something. I, I have found in these last several months, there is an arrogance and a pride among some of us as Adventists that is frightening. As we are talking about the, the end time issues and as we're talking about the coming persecution, even as we deal with this pandemic, what I'm hearing a lot of is arrogance. There are folk who are saying, listen, whatever happens to everybody else is fine. We have the health message. Well, if we have the health message and they don't, I'm not sure that's a reason for us to feel good. They're like, oh, no, don't worry about it. You know, the coronavirus only kills people over 70 years of age. Somebody told me that. I said, well, my grandmother died at 86. I would, I would not have wanted to lose that last 16 years with her. We've gotten to a point where we think, well, we've figured it all out, and we are taken care of, and so whatever happens outside of that is fine. We, we've fixed it all ourselves, and we don't understand that there's danger, not just because a lot of times we read this and we speak to the material wealth of the Adventist church. We speak of our great institutions and, and whatever resources we have, but I want to submit to you that the most dangerous wealth is the false wealth of self-righteousness. Because then what is happening is it is no longer the perfect oil of the Holy Spirit that is creating the light. Now you're trying to create your own light. You think that you figured it out and by your behavior, you have special privilege. This is dangerous, dangerous doctrine. Because one, people become indifferent to the plight and the suffering of all those around them because we have the truth. And it's disgusting at times. We were doing our program on Friday nights, myself and my, my colleague, Dr. Columbus Batiste, for, for our slave food project. And um, there are two Baptist church, Sunday churches. One of them is a Baptist church in Atlanta that has invited us down to do presentations in their church in front of their congregation, not at Venice. And we've, we've gone down there and introduced them to our health message, a whole food plant-based living and all these different things and, 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 and had an excellent time um, discussing with their congregants in Atlanta. Two churches. So we had them come on and the pastors of the churches are now whole food plant-based and giving their testimony of how they changed. And here's where it got deep on, our, on, on the show we did. They be, that these two pastors began to discuss how theologically, they're not Adventist, how when they study the Bible, they see that if God designed for man to eat a whole food, plant-based diet, that disease. That, and in fact, I asked one of them the question, is it presumption to eat whatever you want and then pray when you get sick? Neither one of them wanted to answer that question. But here's what it is. 
They both were like, listen, you, can, you, if, you can't, one of them said, you can't pray over the pig and expect God to bless what he already cursed. And you know what some Adventists wrote to us? That we should not have Babylonians on our show. What a shame. If we share with them and they're given the testimony of what has been shared and its benefit, you see them as bad. You should have medical missionaries on it. I was like, these two dudes are doing more to change people's health than most people who call themselves medical missionaries. Their congregations are massive in Atlanta. These aren't tiny little churches. And but this is the arrogance that now is. That I, we must be, we are the only ones. And let me tell you something, a whole lot of Adventists are going to be lost because they think we are, the only way you can get truth is if they give it out. Don't you know that there are people outside of our church that God is going to call in during the shaking? That the reason God hasn't called some of them in is because some of us are in here, miserable and unhappy, in church, never smiling, Always judging folk. You can't be a light if it's your light you want to shine. It's the light of Christ that must shine. That means we're humble. That means we're teachable. That means we love people, even people who don't agree with us. You don't have light if the only time you love someone is when they agree with you. I'm telling uh, tell you. Things are about to get worse. And while we argue among ourselves over foolishness and, and, and things that are not salvific, this is where the world is going. This week, Pope Francis in Earth Day message, oh, this is, this is, I'm going to build up to what happened this week, but this is back from earlier this, Pope Francis in Earth, this is earlier this year, Pope Francis in Earth Day messages warns we are at the edge on climate change. Right? So the Pope is saying, listen, we are at the edge. In fact, there are people saying we are like a year or two away from total climate collapse in the, on the planet. And this week, all the different heads of different uh, denominations came together and different, you can see even, some, there's a, this looks like a Sikh, a Muslim here, different religious traditions came together and signed a document to uh, impress upon all the nations of the world that they are to um, uh, do more for climate change. And they're pushing hard on this thing. I hope you've had your burning bush experience. Because look at this. They're ready for a climate Sunday now. Who is organizing climate Sunday? And isn't it interesting? <laughs> Sunday was set up as a day of worship to worship the sun. Just like light didn't, <laughs> light was created before the sun. I want to submit to you that the truth around what is happening exists outside of uh, this particular day of the week. Because what they're really pushing for, this is from the Vatican News, Christian churches are holding Climate Sunday ahead of Glasgow Conference. 
And I've shown you in other talks that there are governments in Europe that are already moving towards Sunday laws. The European Union, Union in, in conjunction with the labor uh, unions and others are, are starting to come together. People on every side of the political spectrum can agree that this is a day that should be that should be hallowed. And in fact, right now, while we're infighting inside of our denomination, there are those outside really rallying together. Why are they rallying together? To make us look even more ridiculous that we believe a Sunday law is even possible. Even though I just read a really good book on religious liberty this week by Ken Starr, and Adventists have mentioned in it because these laws, the, law, the, the, the Supreme Court has gone against us before, or against religious liberty before. This is what it said, Christ Object Lesson, page 414 says. This is why we must have that burning bush experience. The coming of the bridegroom was at midnight, the darkest hour. So the coming of Christ will take place in the darkest period of this earth's history. The days of Noah and Lot pictured the condition of the world just before the coming of the Son of Man. The scriptures pointing forward will forward to this time declare that Satan will work with all power and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. Satan will work more now be able to deceive more now. If we have not had a burning bush experience, if we have not spent time twice a day before uh, the golden lampstand in our houses and in our worship experience, as the world grows darker, if we don't have the light of Christ, we will be lost. His work is plainly revealed by the rapidly increasing darkness, speaking of Satan, the multitudinous errors, heresies, and delusions of these last days. Not only is Satan leading the world captive, but his deceptions are leavening the professed churches of our Lord Jesus Christ. The great apostasy will develop into darkness deep as midnight, impenetrable as sackcloth of hair. To God's people, it will be a night of trial a night of weeping, a night of persecution for the truth's sake. I like this last line here from Christ's Object Lesson, page 414. But out of that night of darkness, God's light will shine. It will shine because we will stand up under persecution. How did the church grow so fast as the martyrs were being devoured by animals? burned on stakes during the time of the Roman Empire. The blood of the martyrs watered the church, and it grew. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a, ca a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I want to glorify my Father, not myself. I want to prove to you how great I am. What good does that do? There's a whole lot of people that are convinced they're great that are going to find their way into the lake of fire. The glory I want is the glory to go to God. Selected messages 398, when, when the Christian is looking forward to duties and severe trials that he anticipates are to be brought upon him because of his Christian profession of faith 
It is human nature to contemplate the consequences and shrink from their prospects. And this will be decidedly so as we near the close of this earth's history. We may be encouraged by the truthfulness of God's word that Christ never failed his children as their safe leader in the hour of their trial. For we have the truthful record of those who have been under the oppressive powers of Satan. That his grace is according to their day. God is faithful who will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able. Selected message, page 398. My wife sent me this this week. I think this is from the teacher's lesson from the Sabbath school this week. And I had to send it to Idaho to a couple that I met, both nurses, and, and the wife was, cr was crying as she was concerned that if we are going into the time of trouble, how will my children fare? They're very young, and how will they do? And this resonated with me so much, I had, to, I had to find them and send it to them. If we have had that burning bush experience, if we've talked with God face to face as a friend, if, we've, if, we, if, we, have, if we are shining from us the light of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, as persecution comes, God will only allow what we can bear. And he will give us strength for that which right now we think we could never bear. And our light will shine. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they, they shall say to me, What is his name? Moses asked God, They're going to ask me, What's your name? What am I supposed to tell them? What shall I say unto them? I like verse 14. It says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. Not Horus, not Isis, not Osiris, not Jupiter, not Zeus or Mercury. God says, listen, my name is I am. I exist. And the I am in the right tense of the Hebrew isn't just I exist now. I existed always and will always exist. That is the power of the light of the God you serve. He is. Let me tell you something. I had to really rely on God these last, probably over the last two and a half weeks. Our family went through a trial. My younger cousin got the coronavirus, and, and I think it went basically through his whole house. He was the only one that got really sick. He's, he's younger than I, and they just had their seventh child. And I love him more than anything. Great guy. In fact, just he, he started listening to my sermons online and came back to the church, and he and I have been having religious discussions of recent, so I was really just happy what was happening. It's like Satan stepped in to try and wipe him out. He wound up in the hospital intubated and they had to put him under in a, in a um, medically induced coma. Blood sugars were out of whack and I mean almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. Kidneys problems, lung problems, everything. And our family, our extended family began to have Zoom meetings, church. 
And I began to have my, my younger cousins, second cousins, people I haven't seen in a long time joining on these Zoom meetings. And it was such a blessing to see them. And we began to pray for my cousin. And let me tell you something. As we began to pray, he began to improve. In fact, his wife told me that when he went into the hospital, basically the ICU nurse told her not to expect a recovery. Not in that many words, but basically don't get your hopes up. She said the physician also told her, basically, this one's, oh, it's over. He probably will never come off of this um, ventilator alive. And we began to pray. And I remember as we were praying, some of the folk who would get on, some of my family members would come on who probably haven't been to church in a long time. And some of them who maybe, you know, maybe I don't know where they are spiritually, I haven't spoken to them, but it was like God was showing me that he was using, don't miss this, he was using this situation to shine light. And before it was over, folk were praying and calling on God's name. And I'll never forget in my office at the house, I stopped one night after I was done with everything I needed to do and I just had to speak to God. I had to have a burning bush experience and I said to God, God, so many of our family members have died over the last 30 years. So much death. Regularly, we have experienced death. I said, God, I have to claim your promise tonight that you are going to allow my cousin to walk out of that hospital unscathed by any of this. I said, I need my family members to see firsthand that you are the God of the scripture, a miracle working God today, that you are the great I am. And I wept and I prayed and I wept and I called on the name of God. Claim the blood of Jesus over my cousin. I prayed to banish the enemy from out of that ICU room. Church within two days. We got the word that they were going to extubate him. Within four days, his wife was so happy that he had been extubated and was doing well. And by about day five, I was able to get on the phone and talk to my cousin. And let me tell you something, church. We wept together on the phone. And to hear him call on the name of Jesus, to hear his father call on the name of Jesus as he wept and he cried. My cousin wept and cried over the goodness of God. You don't serve some made up God in a fairy tale book, church. He is the great I am. He is still there tending to the candlesticks. He's still in the burning bush. He is still the power that moves and orders this universe. He is the one that we get on our knees and we pray to. He is real. And you have been called to be a light to that reality. And yes, it's going to cost you something. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it's going to be challenging. But he will not send you where you cannot stand. He will give you the strength. He will, he will give you what you need to be able to deliver in the time of trouble. But let me tell you something, church. I thank God that he's given each one of us the opportunity at the end of the world to be light in the darkness. Each one of us has the opportunity 
to share the word of God in dark times. That is not something we should cower away from. This is a sacred responsibility. And I praise God for it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Look at Moses and the burning bush and also to evaluate the second piece of furniture in the holy place of the sanctuary. Thank you, Jesus, for walking among the candlesticks. Thank you for being a faithful high priest. And Lord, even here and now, I want to thank you especially for what you did for my cousin. I want to thank you, Lord, because you didn't have to do it. You'd still be God. But Father God, you have shown up and shown out so that he would be a living, breathing, walking testimony so that he can show your light. We thank you, Lord. We ask now, Lord, that we, be, that we become prepared for what is coming upon the earth. Lord, that we might each be able to stand. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.